Hey everyone, and welcome to episode three of the first season of Resilient Conversations, a podcast by Partners Global that explores different facets of individual, organizational, sectoral, and systemic resiliency as it relates to civil society. Today we talk with two of our colleagues from the Peace Nexus Foundation about their approach to civil society resiliency from a donor perspective and why it's so important to support organizations and not just projects. Carol Frampton heads Peace Nexus's organizational development work, and Eloise Iyer is the lead on conflict sensitivity. Together, they work with civil society organizations and networks around the world to learn and adapt to changing dynamics and to integrate a conflict-sensitive lens into all of their programming and practices across the organization. In fact, Carol led a network strengthening process for our very own Partners Network. You can read the outcomes and reflections of that almost two-year process on our website under the Resources tab. Peace Nexus is a Swiss private foundation that aims to strengthen the capacities of and collaboration between organizations to increase their contribution to reducing violence and building peace. Let's dive in. Hi, Carol and Eloise. Welcome to Resilient Conversations. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Carol, let's start with you. What do civil society resiliency and organizational development mean to you at the Peace Nexus Foundation? Peace Nexus is quite unique in that we don't fund programs or activities. We really invest in change processes so that organization can be more resilient. We don't use that terminology, but actually it fits uh, beautifully. Our work is really to strengthen organization so that they can better understand, respond to, and then impact uh, the context in which they operate. So yeah, we call it organizational development with a conflict-sensitive uh, lens, but resiliency kind of is, is, a, is a shorter and captures it well. Um, and really, if you, if you look at the current environment and how all over the context is becoming more, more and more difficult, unpredictable, and sometimes directly hostile to, to civil society actors, you know, investing in the ability to cope, to adapt, to learn, uh, seems like like really the, the way to go for, for all foundations and, and donors. Great. So it sounds like this idea of civil society resiliency and the way in which Peace Nexus Foundation approaches organizational development are sort of one in the same. They're interchangeable, which is uh, very similar to the way that we approach resiliency at Partners Global because we incorporate that conflict sensitive lens. Um, And so I'm speaking from the uh, resiliency plus framework, the approach that we've developed there. So it's really, I I love when that happens, when there are uh, different entry points or or angles with partners and colleagues in the space that all sort of end up in the similar um, end point or end goal uh, with regard to organizational strengthening. So Eloise, let's turn to you. What is conflict sensitivity for Peace Nexus Foundation as it relates to civil society resiliency, or, you know, this idea of organizational strengthening with a conflict sensitive lens. Yeah, so I would bounce on what you just said and what Carol mentioned as well, that we see conflict sensitivity as something that is essential to undertake with an organizational lens as well. Conflict sensitivity tends to be seen as a very 
tool-focused kind of intervention and, and sometimes a bit of a technical type of intervention. We've seen many tools for conflict analysis popping up, which are very useful, but sometimes we tend to understand conflict sensitivity as only being this. So for us at Peace Nexus, we feel that conflict sensitivity is much more than that. And it completely relates to civil society resiliency, as in you need to understand the context that you work in, the different stakeholders that you engage with in different capacities, and the dynamics that surround and affect your work. And so all work with civil society partners is really about how do you stay attuned to your context? How do you adapt what you do and how you do it uh, in view of whether it's more or less restrictive and when there are sudden changes or sometimes uh, slowly degrading situations as well. Great. So what are some of the ways that civil society organizations can think about conflict sensitivity as they approach their organizational strengthening processes? Like, what does that look like in practice? Yes. So that's a, a very good question. For us, we always start by an initial assessment with, with our partners. And we think it's a very good thing to do to just take stock of where you're at in terms of uh, your organization. And what we often do afterwards is design a process by which you can work on different aspects of your operations, of your strategy, of your external relationships, and try to see where conflict sensitivity has the ability to understand your context and adapt to it. Where does that come into play? into these different parts of the organization. So very concretely, I would maybe take two examples, one from an international organization where we decided to first work with them on growing their work dedicated on peace building. So they were doing many kinds of things and peace building was pretty small as compared to their humanitarian interventions in particular. So we really worked with them on program quality, fundraising to get resources for their peace building work, their ability to, to push for policy changes in terms of peace building. And then later on, we started working on how to embed conflict sensitive practices across the rest of the work, in particular, uh, disaster response, but also their livelihood programs, water and sanitation work, in the sense of where do conflict and peace issues come into play into that work? And what can you do to address that? Uh, how do you engage different kinds of partners? How do you build dialogue capacities with partners that may be very technical? And just the other example from local organization we've been working with in West Africa, which is a network of pastoralist associations uh, across different countries in West Africa. And with them, we decided to first work on how do they engage youth within the network, but also beyond uh, the network, and also how could they invest in greater and more in-depth intergenerational dialogue between youth and the, let's say, older generation. So that was one element of working on what is conflict sensitivity writ large. So I just want to pull on that thread a little bit. It's very interesting to see how conflict sensitivity can be incorporated across various programmatic areas in which an organization works. I wonder also how then do organizations reflect on their own internal practices and build in conflict sensitivity into how they operate internally, which then also sort of has implications for how they relate to their partners or approach, approach their work externally. And Carol, it looks like maybe you want to um, hop in on this one. 
Yeah, I think increasingly our our field, peace building and development, is being called to really embody its own values. And certainly our organizational development work is now increasingly not just about how do you best respond to the context, but also, which has to be mainstream in its own way, uh, as, as Eloise has explained, but also how do you really practice what you preach? That if we sort of champion sort of peace building that is participatory and inclusive in its approach, it cannot be designed internally through processes that are not themselves participatory and inclusive, nor supported by a, a management or leadership or governance that is uh, top down and extractive in its approach. So there is now space to really look at this, and we've we've recently supported a dialogue process among peers, different peace building organizations of different regions and different size to look at, for instance, how they integrate gender in their in their work. Look at that, you know, you can be gender neutral, gender responsive, gender transformative in your programmatic work, but how do you fare internally? How does you how is your male, your monitoring, evaluation and learning practices? How do they incorporate um, gender? How's your governance? And so it's really about having coherence in everything that you do. It's starting to become broader. I mean, each process, each issue requires its own thinking, its own, has its own set of challenges, but really they're also all connected because it is about how do you operate in a way that has integrity and that um, is respectful, aligned with, with the reality that you are trying to, to impact. Yes, I would maybe bounce on that as well. A key question is not just about what you do in terms of mission, in terms of objectives, but really how you do that, how you deliver on your mission within your context. And um, to add on what Carol meant, how you plan for your work and, and when do you review what you're doing and think about whether you should adapt. So I would argue that with our partners, we've learned that adaptive programming is a key element by which you can really get a real difference in what you do and really manage to succeed in terms of conflict sensitivity practice. So that means planning for adaptation. Even if you have long-term programs, long-term goals, building feedback loops as part of your work and not just within the team and the staff, but also really with your partners, with communities that you're working with. And we feel that if you build these review points, moments where you ask, should we adapt what we're doing? Should we adapt the way we're working? Uh, at very regular points, that makes a huge difference to the quality of your work. And we feel as well that donors may be more ready to, to help you adapt your work than what organizations may think. Um, and so they should be ready, we, we believe, to really advocate for changes in their work, even when it's donor-funded with constraints. If I can add something here, it's also, in a way, conflict sensitivity is positioning of holding ourselves accountable for the work that we do and the impact that we have. Our organizational development work is also more and more about how do you have true mutual accountability in everything that you do. You have a board that is there to play a certain role, to provide oversight and, and direction, but that doesn't mean that the board is not also accountable to the organization. If INGOs were to uh, not just kind of hold local partners accountable for delivering on, on programs, but we're sort of regularly asking, how are we doing? Are we providing you the supports that is really helpful? And how do we continue to partner and evolve as our needs capacities evolve and, and always look at who's the best able 
to take different roles rather than be set into given hierarchies or positions. So it's, I, I see it all as different aspects with each time its own language and whatever, but really it's the same principle of having sort of much more equal mutual dialogue in everything that we do and in every rela- relationship and engagement that we have. Absolutely. And several words stuck out to me because they are also words that we utilize and embed in our Resiliency Plus framework, integrity, accountability, adaptive. All of these things are absolutely necessary to not just walk the walk, as you were saying, Carol and Eloise, but also to just really fully embrace and embody the organizational mission values practices that we not only want to see in our partners, but need to be living internally as well, because that that contributes to the health of the organization and the ability to withstand some of the changes in the context, whether that's from a funding base issue or from other closing space issues. And so I want to turn to that a little bit and Carol ask you, how does the incorporation of conflict sensitive practices really impact an organization's ability to really be resilient when their context is changing, when the dynamics are shifting, when restrictions are happening in the civic space or they're being harassed or or attacked in the media? What does that look like? So I think sort of traditionally we've in the sector, we've over relied on individual resilience, you know, the founder, but often also bringing their staff with them, being able to absorb an enormous amount of stress and resilience has been thought of as a, as an individual. And you realize you have organization with, where everybody's pretty much in burnout is about to implode of exhaustion and stress and the, as the pressure around augments. And so organizational development is to look at, okay, yes, you can, equip the individuals, but really you need to protect those individuals by giving them structures and processes and protocols to to help them cope institutionally. I mean, it was obviously who they are will, will come into factor, but to not rely on them just to have systems in place, to have policies, to have strategies. So that's one thing to really strengthen the whole system. But then it's also about realizing that beyond just the organization, that organization will remain often vulnerable in a context that is turning hostile towards civil society actors. And so how do you also make it um, stronger by anticipating? So better equip them to be reactive, help them think in terms of anticipation, longer term trends, and um, how can they not just be a sort of victim of some of these changes that are usually negative in their impact? How can they be transformative? I mean, the mission of most civil society or peacebuilding organization is a transformative mission. How can they remain transformative even in a difficult environment? And that often is about connecting with other actors, creating alliances, all work that re- requires that you anticipate, that you develop a vision, that you build up a whole network that you can then mobilize in times of crisis or you can uh, work with to try to shape a different way forward for, for, for the organization. Great. And you mentioned alliances working together. I know that Peace Nexus Foundation works a lot with civil society networks. And so I want to just ask maybe Eloise, you can help me to, to understand how embedding conflict sensitivity into organizational development for networks is different compared to that process with an organization? What, is, what does that look like? 
So I think first, I would say for more experience, there's a huge value of working on conflict sensitivity with networks because they are a setup that helps to bridge barriers between organizations, between sectors, between countries or regions. And they really, they can offer space uh, where organizations, actors can share about not just what's working well, but what is challenging, and they can offer a safe space to do that. And a, a huge value as well of conducting joint analysis or reflecting on context changes within a network setup. Then in terms of the difference of working on conflict sensitivity integration in a network as compared to an individual organization, I would say you really have to be careful about the levels uh, that you're considering and how in depth you can go in terms of working on changing practices. So I would say for a network, it's very useful to reflect on what should happen at the secretariat level. If there is a secretariat in that network or an organization or a host that has more of a coordination role, should they invest more in terms of internal capacity of the staff, of the leadership? Should they have a number of guiding documents that help set a number of principles from a conflict sensitivity lens? And then what should happen in related circles with members, in the services to members, in the learning function, but also in terms of research, policy and advocacy, capacity building, what are the different ways in which you can support changing practices on conflict sensitivity with your members through those different channels that you have as a network. So we feel it's a huge vehicle to push for change. Great. And what are some of the considerations and opportunities that are presented really specifically within networks as opposed to just at the organizational level when you're trying to incorporate this conflict sensitive approach to strengthening to a strengthening process for a network yeah i mean there's two dimensions there's the working to strengthen a network in itself and that's also looking at the mission the governance um you know the role of the different members and that's i would say it's presents its own challenges and often additional challenges to strengthening a single organization because often people will participate in a network on top of their work and, and job uh, in the organization. It's quite rare. There's a lot of funding to help them really dedicate protected time to that activity. So they do it on top of, of long days of work. Doing the whole sort of normal organizational development work is challenging uh, with network in particular. I mean, we, we've learned a lot working with, with the Partners Network and, and uh, you'll be publishing a, a, a reflection paper on it soon. But it's a long process and it requires a lot of energy and a lot of dedication from, from all the members. But now in, in some ways, going through this kind of rethinking, reimagining a network that um, is required on a regular basis can be helped with this focus on learning and are we are we conflict sensitive because that's that also in a way feeds the network because it feeds the the thinking a network can provide sometimes it's the only purpose sometimes it's one purpose among others but it can provide a really good safe space to have technical learning conversation on how do we do the work that we do? How can we do it better? And holding each other accountable, but in a, in a supportive manner. It's not an easy road. <laughs> and then I guess um, just to end, uh, maybe both of you can contribute some thoughts. What for you would you say are 
the top two biggest challenges or hurdles that civil society organizations or civil society networks face when trying to build in conflict sensitivity into their, into their, both their strengthening processes and, and their sort of operational capacity. And then what can they do to overcome those challenges based on your experience? I can jump in with maybe two, two key points from my, from my end. I would say one of the first challenges for me would be uh, how to maintain the energy, building conflict sensitivity capacity, changing the way your organization works takes uh, a lot of courage. It takes self-reflection and you may have champions within organizations or networks that are pushing for that change. But sometimes uh, the obstacles are really high, either within the organization or in the external context. And so how do you keep up the energy despite the obstacles? And you may have moments where you have lots of achievements, uh, changes that you can see happening. And then uh, soon after, potentially a moment of lower energy or uh, some moments where you feel your organization is going back on some of the progresses that it had made. And I think one way to work on that challenge is to understand it's normal. There will be these cycles of higher and lower energy. Just understand the moments where there is more of a fatigue and what can you do during these periods of time to maintain at least a minimal degree of investment in these conflict sensitivity practices, organizational change, maybe in a less ambitious way, but keep the seeds that you've been planting and know that there will be a moment where there will be an, another momentum to, 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 to push for that change. And the other element I would say is to sometimes think that it's more technical than it is, to think that you need to be an expert on conflict analysis, an expert in conflict sensitive monitoring and evaluation, while in fact, I would argue that the most effective ways to embed conflict sensitivity in your organization is to go simple, have a good enough just a few questions type of conflict analysis that you can really link up to your design and programming process. Have maybe just a few questions added to a normal m framework that pushes you to look at the context, how you impact on it, how you're affected by it. And really each time the question is, how can we adapt what we're doing? How does this really affect the way we work? It's not analysis for the sake of it, it's really how do you change things in practice? And maybe just to add to that, what um, I mean, I've referred to it, it's difficult to to find resources for this work. Even if you can have products, like you publish guides, you publish studies, you publish important resources, as well as nurture the people within your network so that they do their work more effectively, more in, more consciously, more carefully to show this value and have donors invest in it um, can be quite difficult. I mean, there have been traditionally some governments and donors that, that understand the importance of learning and have funded it, but it's it's a tough battle and it's, um, it's also often the, the, the things that get cut first uh, when, when there are restrictions. And that's why we actually at Peace Nexus, we try to now do a bit more um, not really ad advocacy, but try to influence to talk about this importance of, again, investing in organizations rather than projects to invest long term when you are wanting to, to talk about um, uh, peace building objectives. And but yeah, we and we're not the only ones, obviously, that, that say that, but really try to, to bring that point home and, and show the results, try to also as much as possible show 
what a difference these investments, these networks, this time dedicated to, to learning and reviewing our practice, how important they are at the end of the day to, to have the change that we want to see on the ground. Great. And I think actually we're going to be talking about some of those lessons at our learning event in May, on May 9th. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because we actually, with the the experience of Partners Network and, and others, we kind of realized that these networks that have learning at the core of their mission, whether it's phrased as conflict sensitivity or whether it is uh, phrased as uh, resiliency, when it's at the core of the mandate, it's it presents its own specific challenges. So we're inviting uh, Partners Network to present their journey and their learning uh, at the end of, of a, an accompaniment process um, that, that we've had with them, but also inviting a few of other sort of learning-focused networks to engage with them and, and, and have also a bit of space um, because when you're a coordinator of this network, it can be quite lonely. <laughs> it's tough and uh, you have to survive the low energy moments and, and, and then infuse new energy at the right time. And so we hope it's also a space not just for learning, but for mutual supports uh, across, um, across different networks. So we look forward to that. Yeah. Absolutely. And we want to want to thank you and Peace Nexus for accompanying us at Partners Global through that process. And we're really looking forward to that learning moment and sharing of experience and building that support at the at the event in May. It is a virtual event for anyone listening who wants to um, be able to track and follow up um, the outcomes of it. But I just want to thank you both, Carol and Eloise, for talking with me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And really, um, I think your resiliency framework is absolutely wonderful. And I would encourage anyone listening in to really dive into it. Absolutely. It's so exciting for us to see someone else <laughs> who does the same work and who's found actually really good wording to, to capture what we explain in much longer sentences. So well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's just an example of how we all support each other just right now, right? So <laughs> thank you so much for that moment. I'm really grateful. Resilient Conversations is a podcast produced by Partners Global, a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C., that advances resilient civic space throughout the world by focusing on authentic partnership locally-led solutions, inclusive processes, and conflict sensitivity to bring about more peaceful, secure, just, and accountable societies. Don't forget to subscribe to Resilient Conversations so you don't miss any episodes. And please, if you have a moment, leave us a comment or rating if you like what you hear. You can also learn more about our work at Partners Global by visiting our website at www.partnersglobal.org. A special thanks to Carol and Eloise for their time and contributions in making this episode possible. This episode was recorded prior to the learning event in May, and a reflection paper is available on our website under the resources tab if you're interested in learning more about our network strengthening process. Music for this podcast was created by Tuesday Night from Pixabay.